What does stress and burnout and even chronic illness have to do with sacrificing yourself for others? And when we find out that we're being codependent, how do we practice essential love for ourselves and others to heal? Today, we'll have a conversation with Eva Venari. Join us to find out more. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Nectar Show, that show where we talk about all things essence and all things human meeting essence and the experience down here on planet Earth. And we gather around the campfire and we share our stories of connection to that which is bigger than us, to the great mystery, to our role within the collective, and to how we want to co-create reality for a new earth and us all included in Soul Nectar Show. And I'm your host, Carrie Hummingbird. And I've been having these conversations for at least seven years now and every week putting out a new interview with a new expert and having some experts come back and, you know, having conversations about a variety of topics. So today we're going to talk about something that is just an experience of almost every mother I know of and potentially fathers as well, or just people that are first responders or caregivers, people, people that you're really called to be in service to others. And it can get to this place of a choice between your well-being and someone else's well-being. And when you're really clear with yourself about what's good for yourself, what your own well-being, what you need in order to be happy, healthy, and whole, and then you might feel like you have to sacrifice that for another person because they aren't able to take care of themselves or they have some reason why they need your help. And you might feel a sense of responsibility for that. And I know as moms, like we often feel that, that sense of responsibility. And it's a really profound, deep thing. And what do you do? Because you don't want to just walk away and act like you don't care or give somebody an abandonment complex. But also it's like, I need to take care of myself right now. And I already been through that part and I know it doesn't work. And I need to make a choice that's healthy for everyone. And so that's the kind of the conversation we're going to be having today. So if you're resonating with that, stick around. We have Eva Venari with us today. She's the founder and CEO of the Elevate Institute, a cutting edge health practitioner firm specializing in empowering professionals and entrepreneurs to take leadership of their health team to reduce stress and reverse burnout, restoring vitality. And she's got this program that's called the Essential Love Program, where it addresses this codependence codependence being the core reason that we get chronic illness. And we're going to be talking about what is illness, what is mental illness, what is health, what is codependence, how do you reverse all this and get everybody healthy. That's going to be a big charge. And I know you can do it, Eva. You're you're in it. You're in it to win it. So you actually came on Skills Not Pills when I was doing a lot of those Skills Not Pills videos and movement. I don't think you've been on Soul Nectar show yet. So everybody meet Eva. So Eva, where do you want to 
like what glimpse into your background, what little nutshell do you want to provide so that people get to know who you are and your own journey through all this and where you stand today being able to offer this to others? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just in personal experience, I grew up in a household that was perfect on the outside, but just dis- dis- so dysfunctional. We put the fun back in dysfunction, right? <laughs> right. You learn how humor can be very valuable. Well, yeah, I have to bring a little bit of levity. And and for me, that that helps me get through the tough situations. And I grew up with that whole self-sacrificing. Well, Eva, you're a girl and girls are supposed to take care of the guys, the boys, and you're supposed to, you're supposed to, there's a lot of those words. You're supposed to this and this and this and this. And I discovered very early that I'm um, oppositional. (laughs) So I don't fall into tradition very well, very easily. And I had a mind of my own and I wanted to be independent. And this, of course, caused a lot of conflict. So I had to learn about dealing with difficult people. And then anyways, created this whole situation where I'm spending a lot of energy trying to take care of myself. And that energy was depleting my body. And I became just imbalanced. My toxic relationships turned into my physicality breaking down in my body, just saying, nope, can't do this anymore. And so when you're in pain in your body, what do you do? Your whole essence just moves up into your head and you decide, I'm not going to live in my body. It hurts to be down there. So I'm just going to be here and I'm going to think and I'm going to work in the world where I am able to think. And so I became one of those smart people. And that in an effort to take care of myself, anyways, caused a, a cascading effect of in chronic illnesses that doctors could not help me with. And it just took years of reversal, years, years, years of, of giving my body what it needs so that it can start the healing. And that healing included everything from physical malady, like um, mineral imbalances, toxic metal releases, clearing out viruses that I'd had over the years that never actually were killed off from taking antibiotics. All of that had to be taken care of. And along the way, what healed and what I noticed came up for me were emotional, were more about grieving, were more about acceptance, were more about learning what my boundaries are and who I am as a person. And that made all the difference is to understand the me. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I'm feeling all of that. I was like, you notice I'm like, yes, being in your body is something that a lot of people have a hard time doing because there's pain in there, there's traumas, there's density. And, you know, in the book, The Second Wave, I talked about how a lot of second wave people are from other planets, you know, other systems, and they don't feel safe here anyway. It feels very toxic and (laughs) dense and heavy and prickly and difficult, right, to be on earth. And getting into the body can be a real impediment for people, but that is the only place that you're actually home. And until you get all the way in, you're subject to a variety of things coming in and taking over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I find that a lot. That's become part of my work is to release, heal, and even vanquish things like elementals and demonic possessions. That's become part of my work too. Very interesting. Yeah, because when you're not at home, anybody can come in your house and take up residence. And then you start having a lot of problems because you've got bright light and it's like yummy and things want to come and have a feast and and you're not in your body. So who's to stop them from raiding the cabinets? And then you're so, sort of floating above outside your body, not coming in. That's a problem, you know, because then you're, you get an infestation. Yeah. And, and what's crazy, here's the fun part of my autism and being on the spectrum and I see patterns, right? 
So this is a great parallel pattern that I have found that a person who's minerally imbalanced often has the same symptoms as a person who is suffering with a walk-in or a demonic possession, a curse, a hex, or a spell. <laughs> They're the same. I go down the list and I, when I first put together the curriculum to teach that class about defense against the dark arts. For real, that's the name of the class. I was teaching it and doing research and trying to see what symptoms do people have when they're demonically possessed. And other than some crazy stuff that we think of when we watch The Exorcist, there's that. <laughs> but we also have these lighter versions. The demonic possession doesn't want you to find out it's there. And so it hides behind chronic illness a lot of times. And so you have to have somebody that can help you guide you out of that. Yeah. And the best way is you've gone through it yourself, you know? So when you've yeah, I remember when I went to the Four Winds Light Body, and you know, of course, um, this is as I'm a trained healer now. This is what I help people with, also in a different way though, is to clear all that stuff out. You've got an infestation, right? But I had so much stuff in me I didn't even know I had. I remember I did this one. I was almost all the way through my program, Eva. I was almost all the way through. I'd, I'd taken all the classes, right? And I was I was like two years in, and I was going to graduate. I thought I'm clean, right? Like I'm clean now. I had this healing with this Carol shaman and he took his little stones and he went through my body, just my arm. He started with my arm, one stone on either side of my arm, went through and cleared, tapped him. And then I kid you not, the rest of my body lit up. Oh crap. I felt like I had cockroaches swimming around inside my body, like from head to toe. It was terrifying. And he just went through one strip at a time and just one strip at a time, one strip at a time and just cleaned me out. And it got quieter and quieter and quieter inside me until there was just nothing left. And I went, whoa, I thought I was clean. <laughs> My goodness <laughs> sakes. This is exactly what happens when I get an Adonis looking of a guy or even a girl who's gone to the, the gym and they're like, I'm healthy because I look this way. And then they get their hair tested with me and they walk away feeling completely, <laughs> just completely blown away. I had no idea I had this many toxins. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that drinking Coca-Cola was bad for me or. Oh Lord. Even if Gatorade. Well, that's the thing is, is that, is that even if we have a clean diet, even if we eat organic foods, even if we do exercise and meditate and do all the quote unquote right things to be healthy and get enough rest and get enough sleep, two different things have healthy relationships, you can still be toxic because you pass those from mother to child in the womb. So that means every single person on the planet who has ever been born by a, a woman, <laughs> that's all of us. That's right? everybody, except for there's yeah. something that's kind of test you, baby, but yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, test your hair. You test your blood every year. Why don't you test your hair? And that's what I do. I test the hair. <laughs> and you found that that's correlated. Like if somebody was infested with entities, for example, their hair follicles would show a corresponding mineral content that would, that would reveal that. Well, what it reveals is whether or not they're feeling craziness, whatever their, their sensibilities are revealing to them. If it is due to a toxic metal only, and if once we get rid of that toxic metal, what's left? You know, then the question, then I can do, I can actually do it either way. I, I've had many people that were referred to me because they, they wanted a, a spiritual clearing healing either on themselves or on their house. And then we get to talking and well, they have things going on in their body that may need to be, so it can go either direction. They may, they may need to balance out their minerals. So we start in one place and then see where it leads us. 
because it's a, it's, that is true holistic healing, isn't it? When you address everything along that spectrum of health from the physical all the way to the spiritual. So the actual test does not show if you have a demonic possession. It just shows if you have something that could be making your body weak enough, like a toxic metal of some kind, that allows for an elemental or a demonic possession to come into it. Just think about cancer. I've noticed that cancer will grow in the weakest part of the body. The weakest part of the body is often also where toxic metals are being stored. So how important is it to get rid of toxic metals out of the body? Because that's a rhetorical question, but we also want to get rid of the toxins to raise the immune system. We raise the immune system. Now we can actually kill off the cancer cells. It all works together. Yeah. And there's also the biology of belief, right? Like uh, Bruce Lipton talked about is like, whatever we believe is true inside of our bodies and the story we spin about everything influences us too, right? Because we are 70%, 80% water and water conducts thought and vibration and words. Yeah. (laughs) Creating reality inside of us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you can use the more direction you can give your brain the better living by default can be very dangerous it's like walking down a dark alley in the middle of the night why would you put yourself in that kind of danger yeah yeah and is that really you know what the kind of life that you want for yourself and don't you want to open up more so that's a lot that could be going on right i and i know that parents you know moms especially because i'm a mom so i'm feeling that and i know you're a mom is that our kids are also going through stuff and it could be anywhere along that spectrum. And how do you address it when, you know, you get that mommy <laughs> fear provoked, right? Like if I don't help out here, my kid could have a really bad outcome, like be in an even worse situation, be homeless or be untended and then get themselves into jail or something like that. You know, this is stuff that a lot of parents are facing, like don't really know the line of um, this is their sole curriculum versus like how, when is my job to step in? That's that codependency thing. And I think that that sacrificing yourself for others, I mean, either way you look at it, it's a very uncomfortable, tense situation. I mean, the, the over the overall theme of the whole work is the same story that happens when you sit down in an airplane, you know, what's the, the talk? When the masks come down, you fit yourself first, then you help others. So I think the the biggest mistake with having a child that you're rearing, no matter the age, I mean, it, it, it does matter how much codependency you employ because it can be healthy when they're very, very young. When a baby's crying in the crib, you, you want to use that to go and <laughs> find out, investigate what's going on with this child that cannot speak yet. So there's that. And then there's the, all right, what is on their spiritual path and why, why would I want to get in the way of it? It's a very tenuous juggling act, if you will. And so here's how I used to handle it with my kids. When I drop them off somewhere, I'd say, all right, have fun. Don't get in trouble. And if you do get in trouble, don't call me. Get yourself out of it. (laughs) Tough love. It's a little bit. And they they knew in all jest, I was saying that as my way of saying goodbye. That's, That's my humor. That's how I handle difficult situations. But they also knew that if they really did get themselves into a spot to try get themselves to a point where they needed to bring me in and then they then they could and they knew they could get help. I was taught very young, uh, don't ever make a mistake, don't get into trouble. And I think that's the biggest problem. We have to know how to get ourselves out of trouble 
And so allowing them to get into trouble a little bit, we have to allow them to get into trouble as, as children so they can see and witness how to get out of it with our help. And that is empowering as opposed to, let me fix that for you. It's, all right, what have you done so far? Tell me what happened. What kind of gloves am I putting on here? Do I need to put my hair back? Do I need to pull out my earrings? What what am I doing? (laughs) Yeah, how bad is it? Yeah, how bad is it? (laughs) Get me up to speed and tell me the whole truth. Because if you tell me partial truth, I will find out and then you'll be in more trouble with me later. (laughs) So there's the boundaries of take care of yourself, right? Make sure that you're okay. And then whatever's going on with the other person, make sure they've done their part in order to take responsibility for it before you step in. And then that gets even more complicated when there's mental illness involved. Yeah. And so talk a little bit about what you found out about mental illness, because that is really interesting. Something you shared right before this was very interesting to me, because as a person who was previously diagnosed, right, and I realized that there was actually so much more to it than just that diagnosis. It was like, well, that was just a a sign that there was some dysfunction going on around me. Yes. So. Tell us more about what you've learned about that. Yeah. So on on my journeys, I realized how important nutrition is. Realized that's, you know, that's my my dyslexia working to change tense. So it's really important for nutrition to be a part of a person's consciousness and awareness, even uh, no, no matter what's going on with their mental health. And so I was brought in to work with a team of people uh, on a new process to the United States, not new to the Finnish they developed something called open dialogue and specifically to work with those who had gone through a schizophrenic break. And I learned a lot of things about schizophrenic breaks. It's it's a moment of time that then has a fallout over time. But that person in the family who is experiencing the schizophrenic break, they're the weakest link in the body of the family. And they are just like I talked about in the body, there's the weakest place in the body where, you know, toxic metals will be harbored along with emotional, maybe resentment or some other negative emotion. And then that's where the cancer grows. So what if we take that, study that microcosm and we apply it to the whole family? Now we've got the body of the family and now we can see where schizophrenic. Okay. If we, if we say that person who's experienced the break, they're the cancer. Not that it needs to be cut out, right? It's that the body that built it needs support. So when we look at the whole family and we have more open dialogue, literally the the meaning of those two words together is we all talk. How are you feeling? What's going on for you? And when this person says that, how does that resonate? Is it a healthy communication? And we make the effort to re-educate how do we communicate in a non-combative and non-blaming way and something that doesn't shame a person wherever they are in the family unit so that they can all feel safe. And what's amazing is these individuals who are part of the open dialogue work that were previously diagnosed as having a schizophrenic break and then living out the life of a schizophrenic on medication, they no longer needed their medication. And the family dynamics grew more close and they felt like they were more understood with each other, but it takes the whole family. You can't pick and choose. You know, it's just like the body takes all of the organs. We can't pick and choose. We all have to work together. And so it's hard work, but it's so worth it because you can see people fully recover. And that's the beauty of it. So what do you do if there is some part of the family that is very stubbornly not wanting to heal? I don't know what the Finnish do in particular, but if I'm thinking about, if we take the study of 
go back to the body. Like, what if there's an organ that says, I don't want to participate? <laughs> right. It's basically like that. It's like the liver says, I'm done. I'm just going to be livering. And you guys just like, take care of yourselves. Like, I'm only going to do my liver thing. And I'm just cutting off the rest of you people. You're out of here. Yeah. Well, what's like crazy, that? kind of. So what happens along the digestive tract, if one part of the digestion isn't able to complete its job, who picks it up? The liver. It's funny you pick the liver. The liver is the hardest working organ besides the brain on the whole planet. I, don't know. I feel like I'm the liver, but you know, hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not so, sure I want to be <laughs> anymore, but yeah. It's about a re-engagement and allowing for the person who is stubbornly on the outsides to make that free will decision for themselves that they want to be a part of it by keeping them up to date. That's what I would do. Just having been part of that environment of open dialogue before, it's like, start it, find the people who are supportive and then bring them in, in that, that loving space that's safe and clear and able, and then make the progress that you want to make, but keep, keep that person up to date and say, this is what we're doing. This is what's happening. We would love to have you a part of it. We understand you don't want to be there right now. Maybe you're not ready. Maybe you're in pain. Maybe you're whatever. So throw compassion at it (laughs) and don't make it be a necessary thing for that person because it's usually an equal and opposite reaction to how much pain that that schizophrenic break has created. Yeah. And there's like a healthy dose of forgiveness, right? And overcoming, sacrificing yourself for others and this whole healing of the mental illness in a family system it has to do with a lot of forgiveness work too, like clearing the slates kind of thing. I would even call it grieving. Grieving what you wanted to experience and having the sentient soul inside of you to a place where you know what you should have received differently, but did not. Like there's a lot of resentment that could happen there. And just having the moment of grief and going, maybe it didn't happen the way I wanted it to, but it happened and acceptance and then grief and allowing and saying, but look what, not even a, but look what it's created and allowed me to learn, but just sitting in it and allowing yourself to feel whatever it is that you need to feel. Because grief, as we know, is not a recipe that we can follow one, two, and three. It comes with all those different phases and things to work through. So I think that's important for every person to realize on their own journey too. What am I grieving? What am I grieving? And also like taking responsibility for your piece of it so that you're helping the overall body, realizing how connected we are. Like we're all so connected. It's not separate the way we've been taught. You know, we've been taught like, here's one I was, for myself, I was told is like, well, you're the one that has the problem with everybody, therefore you're the problem. Right. And I was like, I don't think that's exactly how it works. Like I, this doesn't feel right to me. Like, I don't think that's what it is. I actually think I'm the liver and, and I'm, I'm like, I've had too much to do for everyone. And I feel like I need other people to do a little bit of their work so that we can all work together to heal this and to clear it for the benefit of our future descendants. And, you know, I feel like on the planet, I, so many people, I've been posting about forgiveness lately. And actually the last conversation was about forgiveness, Eva. So I feel like it fits right in with what you're talking about because those of us who came to this planet, like as part of the second wave to do this work, we came here with a server attitude. We came here with a deep sense of responsibility and commitment to the planet and to humanity. But sometimes people sort of piggyback on that. Like, well, you made that commitment. So (laughs) hop on your back and it can feel, and even as a mother, like 
taking that example, sure, you decided to bring a life into the world and you were committed and you are committed. But then there becomes a part where the baby bird has to learn how to fly. You can't just always be there in that way. Here's what I have found having mental illness that is, let's see, let's call it traumatic illness. (laughs) Yeah, traumatic trauma illness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that would include anybody who is a a dark empath or has these narcissistic tendencies or borderline personality disorders. Like all of these things are trauma-based. And what I have found is whoever the highest risk individual in the family is to that individual, that person, and it's usually mom, it's usually mom, has to fill the never-ending pit of need that that child has allowed for themselves in order to feel whole and secure. And it's an ongoing, it's never ending. So if a parent decides to stem, this is what I did. I stopped giving to that pit, to the child that had this issue. And she found herself in situations and in relationships that enabled her. And so I realized I could just hands off and everybody around her that she decided to put into her life filled, filled the gap for me. Is that healthy? It's healthy for me because I'm not the one being drugged into a narcissistic mindset anymore. Is that healthy for those people who are enabling her? That's their journey. But I have noticed that those who are ready, those who are on a, that um, traumatic mindset, any one of those things, and, and there are other forms of mental dysfunctions that are labeled by psychologists that, that could go into that bucket. But the the trauma-induced mental states, they can be healed. Of course, a narcissist will say I can't be healed because they think they're perfect the way they are, right? That's the definition. Well, they wouldn't even say that because they wouldn't even claim to be narcissistic, but okay. The dark <laughs> narcissists will do that. The dark empath, they'll they'll be open about it. They're like, oh yeah, I, I'm very aware. Wow, I haven't met somebody like that. Okay, that's yeah, interesting. Well, I ended up with a client that realized in himself that he was narcissist. And he's like, I've always used was describing this to me. He was, I've always used people for whatever it is as an opposite, an opposite end to what they were trying to get out of me. So I would offer only what I needed to in order to get what I wanted from them because I thought that's what they were doing to me. And I says, well, that sounds like a very lonely and transactional life. He goes, it has been. He says, but I realized after talking with you and in building other healthy relationships that that's not the case with everybody. Some people are just naturally kind and want to help. And I go, yeah. <laughs> And the, the, you could see the mask come off. You could feel it. Yeah. So it can be healed. I've watched it. It can be healed. It takes a person really wanting to. And I feel like there's a lot of, like you said, trauma induced. There's so much deep wounding inside that I just don't think that somebody, the way that we act has to do with our own love inside. If we're afraid or we're traumatized or there's less love inside, we are going to act in that at that vibratory state. And then when we can access examples, embodied people that have higher vibrational states of love, we can lift ourselves to those higher vibrational states of love. And it's safer now to kind of open up those layers of wounding and be healed. But even as we do that, it takes a lot of courage because if you're afraid of doing something wrong, as these layers peel back, you are going to have reactionary behaviors that you wish you didn't do. And you're going to shame and judge and all that stuff yourself again until you learn that that's just a process that as we make it safe, we 
get safe and safe relationships, these doors open up and then this pain comes out and it comes out in messy ways. It does come out in messy ways. And I would say that what's helped me the most to stay stable through those messy moments where it's a hurricane (laughs) of emotions or other people's reaction to my change in vibration there's always an energy exchange, isn't there? Whether that's within yourself, energy exchange of giving, allowing all that, or within another person who's been depending on you. And if you suddenly stop, just like if you stop feeding birds in your patio, what happens when you go outside in your patio and there's nothing for them to feed on? What do they do? They dive bomb you. So you got to be prepared for opposition (laughs) when you start healing yourself. So what I help, what I do for myself is this creating this foundation of really understanding me. Who am I? What am I about? Who am I really responsible to? And what label, if any, am I to me, regardless of a relationship I have to any other person, place, or thing on this planet? And for me, that was source. So once I had that relationship really strongly, firmly rooted in source and knowing that I was part of the collective, that the universe has my back, that every problem I come into contact with, there's an absolute perfect and equal solution, no matter how dynamically it changes along the way, it's there to be found. And once I had that confidence, once I had that foundation, there's no need to be codependent because there's always faith. There's always the faith and then the active faith of manifesting. I have a desire. I am living this life and experiencing contrast. If I'm experiencing contrast, then I know the solution is there period. I just have to be ready to receive it. And it's not just my issue to receive it. It's not just my work. It's everybody who's involved. Yeah. And I guess it just hangs out there on the edge until everyone is willing, potentially. This is where it gets sticky, right? Because not everybody, and this is a lot of light workers who say things like this. They'll say, well, I elevated my frequency and then my family didn't understand. And then they didn't want to come with me and they don't want to change. So I just have to not be with them at all. And then I go, well, is that really true? (laughs) Like, you know, you can't be with them at all. Or if it's still uncomfortable for you to be around them, then maybe that's something inside, right? That needs some healing, right? (laughs) So that you're no, that you're neutral now and you're forgiven, like forgiven me, like release, clear the slate of past wounds and stories. I have to get to the place where you don't care what others think about you really get to that place where this is me. I'll share it with you. But if you provide some sort of feedback, that's your opinion that I haven't solicited. Thanks for sharing. Right. It's having that ability to say, and and this, this is when you're getting stronger. So while you are healing, while you are growing, while you are expanding, while you're going through a new awakening, and I'm hearing people go, Eva, that's all the time. (laughs) It is all the time. We're lifting it all the time. Like there's no stopping it, it seems like. Go ahead. But in the process. But there is a place where we get to that that comfortable of confidence that I was talking about and describing and having that core, right? If you get there and you can remember that no matter where you are in the hurricane, you've got that, that to focus on for yourself. You don't need the approval of others. You don't need the full on acceptance because you are different. You're supposed to be different. You came in knowing you were going to be different and you chose this path. And you're like, oh, Eva, no, I didn't choose these people. Yeah, you did. You sat down with them ahead of time and you were like, all right, what kind of pain in the ass can I be to you so that you can get to your next level in spiritual healing? And it doesn't mean that you have to enmesh yourself with them. 
sometimes it means you love them from afar. But there is a way to have, you just have to have those boundaries in place. And it's difficult. And neutrality too. I like using this test of seeing if I'm still triggered. Like, you know, to see one of these people again and be like, am I still triggered by this person or is it gone? And I love it when it's gone. It's like, oh, it's just gone. Like, I don't even see that anymore. It's like, I've been doing my work from afar and I just don't have it anymore. It's gone. I don't feel it. And then I'm like, okay, I've transcended that. And I can just be around that person and it's no big deal, right? And I've gotten to that blank slate place a couple of times, most profoundly with my mom. And so I've experienced what that's like. I mean, I can hang out with this woman all the time and there's no problems. Like, I just love her. It's all there is is love. So I feel like that for me is like, I don't know, the triple score from a from the hoop swish. <laughs> yeah. That'd be it's like great- if I like, I threw it from afar and it just swooshed three points, right? That's what that is. So I wish we could all get to that place, but I guess it is, you know, it takes work. It takes a willingness to do that shadow work and release things, right? Like do that relentless forgiveness work inside to really erase the stories, to erase the resentments, to some of this stuff is just the latest version of like 5,000 lifetimes, you know, of like the same pattern with this person, you know? <laughs> so, so, yeah, you mentioned that you you just love your mom. You got to that place where you loved her. And I think there's a lot of difference between you can love a person and still have conditions around your own not willingness to spend time with them, but ability to, to give, you know, because to be around a person that's, that can be, or was triggering in the past, it still can, it still can be to a degree. And so we have to actually put conditions on our love and say, unless it's a healthy relationship that I can feel healthy about who I am and be proud of who I am as a human being and how I act around you, (laughs) then that, because that's taking responsibility for self, it's not about them as long as it's about me. Right. It's like being resourced. It's like, I need to be really resourced for this relationship. And in order for me to be super resourced for this relationship, when, when I engage in this relationship, these are my needs. This is what I need. I need this space for myself. I need this time for myself. I need this for myself. And with all that, then when I engage, I'm resourced in this relationship. Yeah, it's not enough. No relationship on this planet. We fool ourselves when we think that that we should get to a place of unconditional love. That is the walking down the dark alley in the middle of the night, hoping for the best. That's just danger. <laughs> Being naive is is dangerous. We have to know how to be, as your words, be resourced. Yeah, be resourced. I love that. This is such a great topic, and I know that everyone listening in is like, how do I get involved with? Eva in her program, Essential Love. Uh, how do they do that, Eva? I have, I put together small groups. So people who are of a similar space, I'll interview ahead of time and then we start a live. I go through it with you. This is none of this is pre recorded with and do this workshop and open up this book and in, in the workbook and go to this page and fill this out. No, 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 no. I'm in it with you. So it's small groups, six to 10 people that come together to have a, have a similar path. And once we do the intake of the original, it's from the elevateinstitute.com website. You'll see it in the list of services as the menu goes, Essential Love. And uh, we just find the group that's best for you, plug you in. And then we have a six-week course. It's one hour each week, no homework. It's meant to gently guide you into a space of expansion so that we can make changes. If you're one of those puzzle pieces, you know how you have to make the picture, but you can't you can't move any of the pieces in order to get the picture to make the picture itself? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but- You've got to make room. 
So we make the room, make the space, we expand your experience and how your your mind is is working and um and play. That's all we're doing, we're just playing. Beautiful. That sounds fun. I'm sure everyone with all this heavy stuff would like to laugh and play. So well, thank you so much for coming out and talking about that today. Uh sharing your wisdom with us. Appreciate it. I would like to invite everybody to share this out with anybody that you think would benefit from this conversation in their lives or needs some this kind of support and uh, to navigate their pathway. And for all the moms, I love you so much. You're doing your best. And for all the healers, thanks for coming to earth at this time. <laughs> this is a bigger job than maybe we thought it was going to be, but we can do it. <laughs> and, uh, and we love you. And we're going to give kisses now. So here's the kisses. Ready? Join me for give people kisses, Eva. Sure. Here they come, everybody. Mm-hmm. Yay. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next time on Soul Nectar Show. Bye for now. If you found even one gold nugget in this episode of Soul Nectar Show, will you do us a favor? Will you subscribe, like, and share this episode? Maybe even write a comment and let us know what you thought about it. We really, really want to engage with you at a much deeper level. Let's be part of community together. Have a great week, everyone. Bye for now. To dive in deeper to nourishing conversation, visit soulnectar.show. Take a sip from the drip of nectar From the source of who you are